going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking Cleveland sports, as always, with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Not much. I'm super pumped for the MLB playoffs this year, Bob. We've got a team in the race. Playoff baseball is amazing, and it's been far too long since the Indians have played a series. So this is going to be a very fun week. Yeah. Definitely. It's uh it's been a while. Um very, very excited that the Indians are in the postseason, not just in the postseason, but are have a playoff series. You know, that, that wild card was a uh, it came it came and it went way too quickly. So it, it's glad that we have a, a nice playoff series uh to watch the tribe play in and uh three games at home, which I am pretty excited about. Yeah, and kudos to baseball for adding that second wild card. I hated it at first, but it it really, over the last five years, has made the end of the baseball season really exciting. A lot more teams involved, a lot more scenarios in play, the emphasis on winning your division. I love it all. So I think that this is the perfect sweet spot for baseball. Don't go any further than five I think they've got a really strong system right now, and and I really like the uh, addition of the second wild card more than I ever thought I would. Yeah, it, it seemed like they were kind of trying to force those kind of crazy seasons that that would happen every once in a while, where there was a wild finish to the end. Um, I was a little hesitant to it as well, though the Indians were one of the early beneficiaries of the uh, of the multiple wild card uh, cards being added, but. Um, it's turned out to be really exciting as well, and I've liked it, and it's added some some intrigue and drama. So, Boston coming to the ALDS, uh, Chris. What 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 are your thoughts on Boston coming coming to Cleveland? This is going. This was the matchup that I think everyone um, outside of Cleveland really wanted um, for the storyline's sake. You know, you've got Terry Francona going against his old team, the team he won two World Series with, uh, the team that uh, got rid of him fair or unfairly for that collapse in 2011, I believe. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of intrigue with regards to that storyline right on the surface. Uh, But when you dig a little deeper, this is a matchup of two you know, the unmovable object and the unstoppable force. Cleveland's pitching versus Boston's offense. And, Bob, I'm telling you, I said everyone outside of Cleveland, I don't think anyone in Cleveland really wanted a piece of the Red Sox because Boston's bats are legit scary. This offense can hit good pitching. This offense can hit on the road. This offense can hit at home. This offense is the exception to the rule, great pitching beats great hitting. I think it is going to take a very strong effort from the Indians starting rotation and bullpen to limit this, these Boston's bat, uh, excuse me, the Red Sox bats. Um, so I'm intrigued by the matchup, but I'm also a little worried about it because of the three teams I kind of really didn't want the Red Sox as September went on. I think the Red Sox have been playing better and better um, ever since the calendar turned to September. Yeah, for a while in mid-September, you know, they looked completely unbeatable, but they have dropped five of their last six while the Indians finished strong. So um, maybe they got that winning streak out of their system as they come back down to earth a little bit against Cleveland. But yeah, you know, it's definitely, um, definitely an intimidating lineup. I mean, Mookie Betts, 
um, looks like the favorite to win the AL MVP in what is kind of a down year for, for the AL MVP, but he certainly is deserving of it. David Ortiz is also uh, going to get some votes and some consideration because he's put in another monster year to close out his career at age 40. That's pretty crazy. Um, they have a really talented outfield uh, outside of Mookie Betts and, and Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, you know, Dustin Pedroia has put together a really healthy season and has been uh, great. And even Xander Bogart, Bogart's, uh, you know, in the infield as well. So they're stacked w- w- with their lineup. Um, have outscored all other teams. I think the Rockies are in second place, and they've outscored them by about thirty point thirty runs. Excuse me. <clears throat> And in terms of playoff teams, I mean, uh, I think the Cubs are, are in second and they've outscored them by about 70 runs. So, yeah, they're ready to mash. I think that, uh, you know, th- they are consistent. They have a consistent record on the road and, and at home. But I think, you know, Fenway is such a hitter's ballpark that going to progressive field and having that extra game at progressive field might just be what the Indians need to to overcome that, that massive lineup. Because it's not just great pitching. Uh, versus a, a a great lineup it's uh you know injured pitching go, going against a great lineup i mean kluber with with the thigh strain it, it got pushed to to start number two just to give him a little bit more time salazar's coming out of the bullpen trevor bowers our number one starter um you know if everyone was healthy in the rotation it might be a different story but you know a, a banged up rotation going against the best lineup in all of baseball you know that that's that's scary news for for, for the tribe yeah, normally I'd agree with you. The home field would favor Cleveland, but if there's one park Boston should be able to hit just as well in as Fenway, it's uh, Progressive Field, aka the Jake, because the Jake is mod- modeled out after Progressive Field. You know, you got the mini monster. It's a very similar construction to Fenway Park. Yeah, and I don't not that not not in right field though. Yeah, but I mean, but he, I he can still, hit a two hundred fifty foot home run in Fenway. But I still think that that it's similar enough that I don't think the Red Sox are going to be as affected by it if they were say in a more pitchers friendly park. I I don't think that uh, Progressive Field is a is a big a huge difference from Fenway Park. I I do think that the Red Sox won't be affected by that. I actually I'm I'm of the ilk. We we had this debate last week. Home field means absolutely nothing in baseball. And this time around I got the numbers to prove it. Um for the last 10 years the higher seed is 11 and 9 in American League Division Series. Since 95 the AL teams with home field advantage have won 23 of 42. Um you want to go all time since 98 when they switched to the 2-2-1 format. Uh, you know, 33 in, out of 68 tries. Uh, so not exactly a big edge getting that higher seed. I am not a big home field guy. I'm a pitching guy. And the concern you brought up about Carlos Carrasco is the biggest red flag to me because you got to face this lineup down your second biggest ace. And, oh, by the way, as you also mentioned, Danny Salazar will still be available, but out of the bullpen, still dealing with an injury, not really sure how effective he's going to be. So another big question mark there. You know, you're going to your four guy as your number one guy because, as you mentioned, Corey Kluber needs that extra rest. I think that's the biggest concern to me. Now, the the other side of that coin is that the Indians' bullpen has a bunch of hammers out of it. I, I do think that the Indians have the best bullpen in the postseason, so it could help mitigate the effect of that. But, I mean, you got to start Josh Tomlin in Fenway Game 3. 
So it's obviously a little concerning because the Indians' depth at pitching has been taxed a bit. Yeah, it's definitely a concern. Uh, I think the one thing I take at Solison is that um, the Royals did it last year with a shaky rotation and a lights-out bullpen. I think um, the the Indians' bullpen isn't uh, – they're not the bunch of flamethrowers that the Royals have, uh, but they're just as good and just as talented. They're as good a bullpen as any. Um, in terms of numbers, they aren't the number one. I mean, there are there are other bullpens that are just as good, but I think that the bullpen, when Andrew Miller was added, uh, Brian Shaw, Dan Otero, Cody Allen, Andrew Miller, and uh, Jeff Manship all came together and they all stepped it up and they're, they've been a lot better in the second half than in the first half. So I think that they are peaking at all cylinders and in the postseason, uh, just as we saw the last couple of years with the Royals, you know, if you can get five innings out of Bauer or Tomlin and hand the ball off to those five guys in the bullpen, uh, you know, you can, you have a really high probability of winning. And I think that that is uh, kind of getting forgotten a little bit right now because, you know, our Cy Young candidate is hurt. Our, uh, you know, another Cy Young favorite that was on the roster is, is out for the season. Our number three guy is injured and, and coming out of the bullpen. That's the main story going up against this, this monster lineup. Um, what's being forgotten is that the Indians have more than just a rotation in terms of arm depth. They have a ton uh, of talented weapons in, in that bullpen. Uh, and I think that is is definitely going to be the X factor in this series. Yeah, and let's also talk about this offense that's number two in the American League and runs behind the Boston Red Sox. The one thing I will say with regards to home field is that the Indians clearly hit better at home than they do on the road. So there is a clear advantage there having that third game in game five because they are more comfortable at the plate. So I will say that that, that could play into uh, the series. But the fact of the matter is this Indians team is fun to watch on the base paths. They have a really strong defense and they can score runs, maybe not on Boston's level, but it's not a huge drop-off in my opinion. They are still number two in the league. So that will all come into effect. Um, and I agree with you. Ever since Andrew Miller has been added to this roster, and more importantly, Brian Shaw straightened things out. He had a tough first two months. But ever since you know about June, he's been very solid. So he's kind of rounded back into the pre-2016 form rather than that April and May form he was in where he was just giving up runs left and right. Dan Otero has been the unsung hero of this bullpen all year. Cody Allen has been his usual consistent self. And you're right, Jeff Manship has also stepped up. So the Indians have a lot of arms out of that bullpen that will help mitigate the loss of Carlos Carrasco. And now Danny Salazar is in that bullpen too. So hopefully Danny Salazar can can be the pitcher he was this year out of that pen because that just gives them another arm to throw at the Red Sox. I think the Indians have enough to advance. Uh, Bob, what do you think? What is your kind of prognosis uh, for this series? Yeah, well... <laughs> You know, if you if you're reading around uh, the internet right now or listening to to you know national sports uh, analysts, nobody's really giving the Indians a shot, and, and they're focusing in on that rotation in particular and, and juxtaposing that against against you know David Ortiz and Mookie Betts, and they're they think that the Red Sox are tailor made to beat the Indians. Um, I don't think it's going to be that easy for the Red Sox because in a five game series, you know. Kluber and Bauer uh, are going to be really valuable. And I think the Indians are going to fall uh, 
as Trevor Bauer falls just because they are going to rely on him a lot more than they thought. But I, I think the Indians are definitely in it. I think they have a strong chance to, to win the series, especially if they uh, take a take an early lead in the series. I think they can definitely do it and gain some confidence with with the young guys that they have. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm definitely not ruling them out. Like some people already have. I think that, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a close one. I think it's going to come down to five games again. That's why I'm happy. The fifth game is at progressive field where the Indians are markedly better this season. You know, you, you gave out some historical stats, but none of those pertain to the 2016 Cleveland Indians who were only two games above 500 on the road and were so much better at home. So they have that confidence. They know that they can come back for game five. I think it's going to be close, but I, I do think the Indians can do it, and I think they they will do it. Indians are going to sweep. That's my bold prediction. <laughs> Indians in three. Bang, bang, bang. Terry Francona is just going to get them. He's not going to lose to his old team, and he's not going to have any of it. I think Bauer and Tomlin both step up. Tomlin pitched pretty well against Boston um, back in August when they came to town. Gave up one bad home run to um, David Ortiz, I remember. But uh, the I think the Indians are going to come out and prove all the doubters wrong. Because I, I agree with you. A lot of people are, are just writing Cleveland off, pretending that they have nothing else, that they haven't overcome adversity all year, that Carlos Carrasco wasn't hurt for about six weeks earlier in the year. You know They've been dealing with this stuff all year long, and they've always stepped up. I think they step up, shock the world, sweep the Red Sox, and send David Ortiz into retirement with his head between his lap. That's the other thing I'm worried about <laughs> is this whole magical David Ortiz storyline. I, I don't like it, but I hope the Indians wreck it because I still have not gotten over 2007. Yeah, I, I don't I don't really care about David Ortiz. Um, what he's done this season has been extremely impressive, the, the way he's gone out, so... I get where that storyline is coming from, and I'm not mad about it because he is uh, one of the best players of, of this past generation. So, um, but yeah, I would I would love to send him home early for sure. Uh, and I, I, I yeah I I don't think it's gonna be a sweep. <laughs> um, I, I think the Red Sox are too good, and uh, you're asking a lot out of both Bauer and Tomlin to to give you that sweep. Uh, I think. We'll be in a really nice spot if one of those guys can can turn in a quality outing in those first three games and get us up two one. Um, but asking both of them, I, I don't know. I just you know Bauer's erratic. Tomlin has been uh, erratic in the second half. So I, I would love a sweep, but I, I I think it's gonna be a little bit longer than that. Get out your brooms, Bob. Get them out. I got the dustpan. You okay. Can the broom. It's all good. But. Hey, man, there are other series, too. I mean, Baltimore and Toronto play in the wild card game. We got the Mets and the Giants playing in the wild card game. So, you know, we're not going to pick everything. Well, maybe we are. Bob, who do you think is going to win those two wild card games? I think the Jays have it in the AL. Um, and I, I think the Mets are going to do it uh, in the NL. Um, it, it is a wild card game, so it could fall either way. It's one game, but those seem to be the hotter teams right now. You want to know what's funny, Bob? Is uh, home teams in this wild card game are two and six. Not good for the teams that are sitting at yeah. home right now. Um, I'm actually going to go Giants in the NL, but I do think the Blue Jays will beat the Orioles. Yeah, and that's the you know people. Red Sox versus Indians has a lot of nice storylines that you can read really easily, but uh, Blue Jays versus Rangers is what everybody wants. 
That would be fun. Because of, because of last year. <laughs> that would be fun. A lot of fun. A lot of yeah. fun. So, all right, Bob. Well, we also got to do this at least. Who's taking the title and who are they beating to take the title? I don't know. I, I don't like any of the teams in the NL. And that's probably like a first for me. I I do not like the Cubs at all. But you think about the my other choices. I got the, the Nationals and, and the Dodgers two teams that I've hated for a really long time as well. What do you got against the Nationals? Uh, Bryce Harper. Oh. That's a weak reason. I can't, I can't I cannot stand the guy. Okay. But I, I of those three teams I like them the most. So I am picking them t- to win the NL pennant. Maybe it'll be this year. I I just I don't want the Cubs to win. I I, I do not. I don't I don't want the Cubs to win either. It is an even year, and that is why I picked San Francisco to win the World Series in the preseason. Um, I actually did pretty well in my playoff picks, by the way. This is like one of the better years I had. Just don't bring up Houston. We, we won't bring that one up. But other than that, I did pretty well. Um, I'm going Indians over Nationals. Did you pick the Twins too? No, I didn't. I said they were. I said they could be a surprise team. I did not pick the Twins to make the playoffs. Okay. No, 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 no. I was wrong, but I did not pick him to make the playoffs. Um, I'm going to go Indians in the AL. I'm going to be a homer. And I'm going to go Nationals in the NL. And I'll go Indians over Nationals in the World Series. Okay. That's the Sports Illustrated pick for 2015 winner, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you – um? you said the Nationals would win the NL. Who who you got in the AL? The Indians? No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna jinx it like that. Uh, I'll just. I'll go with the Rangers. Rangers. Uh, Nationals. Like the Nationals will win it. Bob, I was on the Cavs the whole way, picking them, and that didn't jinx anything. There's no such thing. <laughs> the Indians don't have LeBron James though. Doesn't matter. They have Corey Kluber. Uh, Carlos Santana. A little, not as not as inspiring. I, I love it. <laughs> Come on, Bob. Hey, I think I think the AL by all means is wide open. I think the NL is a little bit top heavy, but the AL is a, is a wild is a, is anyone's guess. So I think the Indians certainly can do it. I I I I believe in the juju. I'm not going to pick them. Man, you can't watch Jonathan Lucroy go to the World Series, Bob. I, that just can't happen. I'm sorry. I, it's out of my, it's out of my control. <laughs> I told you my bold prediction there. I want that Indians Rangers ALCS game seven bases loaded. Lucroy comes up. They send in Andrew Miller. Three strikes, strikes out. Game over. That's what I want more than anything. Oh, that would be fantastic. That'd be pretty cool. Do you remember who my uh my my preseason picks were? I can't I can't remember. I don't remember all of your picks. I remember that my preseason World Series pick was Can- oh, no, not Kansas City, um, San Francisco over Houston. Yeah, I, I, I cannot remember mine for the life. I of got me. Toronto, Texas, and Cleveland in the AL. I whiffed on Houston and Kansas City. I got everyone but the Dodgers in the NL. I had the Cardinals winning their division, though. I had the Cubs as a wild card. So it's pretty good. Seven out of ten is not bad. Well, it's good for you. We'll have to go revisit the podcast to listen to yours again. We'll bring them up. Yeah, I'll get I'll get an answer for for next week for sure. Oh, yeah, we we've got it on record. It's never going anywhere, man. It's out on the internet. When when civilization yeah. ends, the aliens will find the last server and 
they will know what we picked in 2016 uh, for the playoffs and probably laugh at us because we were wrong. They could, they could find far far worse <laughs> servers <laughs> as the last year. So that's not that's actually not that bad uh, if you think about the grand scheme of things. Well, um, en- enough of the MLB postseason. Super excited for the Tribe. Uh, hopefully we'll be t- talking about uh, – we could be talking about a sweep already if that comes true in the next podcast, so that would be exciting. Um, so – Exiting uh, one team at its entering its pinnacle right now, going to a uh, team. I don't. I. I mean, they are still kind of descending down into madness. The 0-4 Browns, the only defeated team in the NFL. Um, Chris, the, the these Browns are putting on a clinic uh, of ways to lose. You know, it's not just a team being dominated. Uh, kudos to the effort that that again they have put forth. But uh, you know, we had taunting calls. We had blown 20 point leads we had uh missed field goals and now we got fumbles in the fourth quarter uh what were your thoughts against against the redskins over the weekend well first and foremost um every time we've challenged this team it's it's come to fruition in week three we said hey let's just get out of this with a healthy quarterback and and they did this week it was hey let's just get out of this uh with no special teams gaffes and they did even though they almost had one that bad false start on Cody Parkey that set him up for a 45 yard field goal and then he just drilled it down the middle so first off hats off to Cody Parkey big bounce back game for him I mean he was just rock solid down the middle um it was good to see the kicker shake off that game I mean it was a bad game three of six extreme circumstances I know but still a bad game so it was good to see him shake it off he has a lot of talent two years ago he was a pro bowler now hopefully the Indians maybe found a hidden gem there um but let's talk about the fumbles uh because why is Malcolm Johnson carrying the ball first carry of the season fumbles the ball Isaiah Crowell was crushing Washington crushing not just first carry not just first carry of the season first carry of his college and pro career right and and look look, i don't want to i gotta criticize Hugh jackson here because i think he's done a really good job this year i really do i think this team has been prepared in every in in most every game it's in i mean the, the philadelphia game first game with a young team you can understand the growing pains but every other game since then they've been they've been prepared and they've been getting better but why is Malcolm Johnson carrying the ball? Isaiah Crowell has been destroying the Washington defense all game long. Why did Malcolm Johnson touch the ball? That was the turning point in the game. That fumble led to a score, and things just went downhill from there. I, I don't get it. I-, I just don't get it. Now, look, Duke Johnson fumbled, but Duke Johnson is going to touch the ball every now and then. He is your number two complimentary back. You want to mix it up with the power and the speed. I get it. But, man, don't give the ball to Malcolm Johnson. Give it to Isaiah Crowell and let him do what he's been doing well all day, and that's run up the middle and crushing the Washington defense. Yeah. Crowell has run really well this season, and it's hard to argue not feeding him the ball in that situation. But I believe in that moment both Crowell and Johnson were out of the game uh, nursing big hits that have been uh, levied on them if that if I'm remembering that correctly and so instead of going to the number three running back on the depth chart which I had to look up because he I haven't seen him play yet is George Atkinson um, you know Hugh went to Malcolm Johnson who has as at least has been uh, on the field so I, I'm not I'm not trying to defend him I'm just trying to work through the logic of it because um, the worst possible thing 
happened when when he gave the ball to Malcolm Johnson if you know he got stuffed for just one yard nobody would really be talking about this play but he fumbled so now obviously we are I think this is also a result of you know just if we had a more confident quarterback we would have thrown the ball in that situation instead of you know turning to Malcolm Johnson as our number three running back with the with the two guys on the sideline um yeah that 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 is really unfortunate that that happened um in terms of in terms of that personnel decision uh, more upsetting to me though was the Duke Johnson fumble uh the fumble that never happened if you watch if you just watch the film but for whatever reason the the refs thought are insistent that the Redskins recover that ball really perplexing to me uh yeah that was a huge gaffe um but Cody Kessler I think has had two solid games quietly completing 67 percent of his passes one interception a fumble He's been sacked four times. There's another point of improvement. The offensive line went into this game allowing 10 sacks. They only allowed one against Washington. So offensive line stepped up this game too. Terrell Pryor, again, was strong. So, look, I still think this team is improving. You know, Cody Kessler, for two games into his NFL career, playing for this young team, I think he's looked good given those circumstances. Isaiah Crowell has taken a step forward. Terrell Pryor has been the man. And the offensive line showed improvement last week. Now, now it's only one week. Uh, we'll talk more about this on Football Fridays, which is our bonus podcast that previews every single Browns uh, matchup on Friday. So please come back for that. It's a quick hitter. So, you you know, just a quick matchup preview against the Patriots. We'll talk more about this. The offensive line is going to have a much bigger tense test this week against New England than it did against Washington but it's encouraging given how they were just bleeding sacks the first three games I mean each quarterback had been sacked three times each and then Terrell Pryor was sacked once when he was in against uh, the Dolphins it's encouraging to see them only give up one sack against Washington um, that little Wildcat Terrell Pryor package didn't work as well against Washington. Uh, it's harder to catch someone off guard when they have a week to prepare for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, that That's only going to work a, a certain amount of times throughout the season. So uh, better if they just start planning not to use TP as a quarterback because he's far more effective as a wideout. Um, really impressed with this game from Terrell Pryor. Coming off that monster game, you know, it, flashes in the pan would uh have a down game but he came back scored that touchdown beat josh norman for that touchdown which uh is certainly impressive to do one of, one of the better cover corners in the game um so yeah it, that that is definitely encouraging the offensive line play like you said especially not giving up a sack albeit to any team uh is impressive for for this offensive line uh, i think the most impressive part of the Browns in, in these, these first four games has to be the, the run game. I mean, Isaiah Crowell second in the league in, in terms of rushing yardage, the Browns first in the league as a, in terms of team rushing uh, through four games, which is amazing to me considering that two games of, uh, of the season has been with Cody Kessler without Corey Coleman at wide receiver, without Josh Gordon at wide receiver. I mean, is there any doubt that we're going to try and pound the run uh, and Isaiah Crowell is still finding room and still finding holes. And that's, you know, credit to him for being more patient and being, uh, you know, ready to go and credit to the offensive line and Hugh Jackson for calling a good run game. And let's also talk about Duke Johnson fumble aside, you know, 115 yards receiving 
and 156 yards rushing. So a great complimentary back. The ideal third down change of pace back for a guy like Isaiah Crowell. So you're right. The, the running game is a big bright spot. Terrell Pryor emerging as an elite playmaker is a big bright spot because, uh, as we all know, Josh Gordon ain't coming back this week. <laughs> um, we'll yeah. get to that in just yeah. a minute. Uh, you know, his checking in the rehab and, and is done for the year. Um, so it's good to see that we have an explosive playmaker. Gary Barnage is starting to get into the rhythm a little bit more. Another solid game out of him. Bob, this, there's a lot to like on offense. I think the defense is showing some improvement. I, I think this team is getting better despite the 0-4 record. And I think Cody Kessler is giving me hope that he could maybe be a longer-term answer at quarterback than we thought. Now, I don't know if he's going to be the guy, but if he can be a guy, as in a depth guy, a guy you can rely on, a guy with a high floor, the Browns haven't even had that in forever. So you definitely need more than one quarterback. Look at New England and a lot of other teams who are struggling with injuries. You know, Carson Palmer went down. Cam Newton went down. There's no given, even when you have the guy, that he's going to be the only guy playing. So we need a guy like Cody Kessler who can come in and complete 67% of his passes and not you know, screw the game up. And I don't think he's done that. Yeah, I, I've been uh, really impressed with, with, with Cody Kessler and what he's been able to do in the first two games. I think, you know, I I feel like I'm giving more credit than uh, what is due to the coaching staff, but just from all the coaching staffs we've seen in, in the past, they, they seem to be getting more out of less for, from this Browns roster, and it's really heartening to, to see that. You know, the way the Redskins came out and in two their first two drives just surgically picking apart the Browns to go up 14 to nothing. You know, I thought it was going to be a blowout. I thought this was finally the time, the game where we're going to see, you know, the true Browns come out and, and be a terrible team, but they responded uh, amazingly and like, like a, a competitive talented team would respond. And, and that is really impressive and really heartening to see, um, still at a zero and four, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement, but but this team uh, could also be three and one. I mean, they realistically could be three yeah. and one. Like, let's. I think that right there. I mean, Bob, you and I both had them at like zero and six. So the fact that they could yeah. realistically have three wins, I think, is a very encouraging sign, despite all that's gone wrong. Yeah, and the one last thing I want to say is that. Uh, the past three games, there definitely could have been a lot of excuses made for, for a lot of players. And I think I was very impressed with the way the Browns handled post-game interviews from, from this game as well, where, you know, they interviewed Duke Johnson and, and about that fumble and like, Hey, what were the refs thinking? He's like, Hey, it was my fault for putting the ball on the ground in the first place. And that, that's all he would say about it. That's all Hugh Jackson would say about it. It's the same thing that Terrell Pryor said when he got called for the taunting play. You know, they have yet to like place the blame or throw in the towel, which, uh, you know, I know the season is young, but yeah, I expected less from this Browns team and I've been surprised. Well, and and it goes back to that coaching you mentioned. I mean, look, I don't know if, if they're doing more with less yet because the Browns are so young. I don't really know what the Browns have, but it seems to me that this coaching staff can get the most out of their players. And I think that you're seeing the most come out of this Browns team. And I hope if that continues for another 12 games, I think we're going to like where this Brown team, Browns team ends up in December for once. 
Yeah, or at least not, uh, you know, winning a meaningless game against the Steelers <laughs> in Week 17. Uh, <laughs> like, well, there'll actually be some meaningful improvement. Yes. Uh, quick, quick. We mentioned Josh Gordon. I mean, he checks in the rehab himself, and, and I don't want to make light of the situation because I mean that's a personal decision, and you know, kudos to him for recognizing that he needs help. But, but also, Bob. I mean, the timing of this announcement definitely. I don't know why now. You know what I mean? Like, why the on the eve of when you're about to be reinstated, are you well, making this announcement now? Yeah, and this is completely, um, you know, this is not factual. It's not backed by facts, but makes you wonder something had to have happened. <laughs> it, you're on the eve of coming back and, you know, reinvigorating your career and getting closer to, you know, an, a contract extension, getting out of that rookie contract extension, getting a pay raise. Uh, something had to have happened. And I think that the Browns knew that. Uh, I think that they were trying to shop him earlier. That's what a lot of reports were saying. But uh, hopefully uh, this is the last time we'll be talking about Josh Gordon uh, unless he's cut or traded. Because, you know, this is five times too many. We've talked about him not coming back on the team. I hope he gets well. And I hope, you know, all the personal things that he's dealing with gets fixed out and he, he sorts it all out. But uh, too many times has he led us astray. Just a week ago, we were talking about imagine this Browns offense once Josh Gordon comes back, he's not coming back again. So we need to get over that. I, I think that uh, this regime, with the way they just cut Armante Bryant uh, coming back from the PED suspension, just saying, hey, we're a no nonsense team, I think they gave Gordon one chance. He failed it. I think they're done with him. Yeah, I think we're about approaching another banned topic on this podcast because Josh Gordon has been teasing us for three years now. Can you believe it was 2013 when he had that amazing season? It was that long ago. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, uh, yeah. It's time to move on. It's just time to assume that he is not going to be a part of this. Uh, We're not trying to make light of what he's going through off the field. We hope he gets the help he needs. But from a football and a business standpoint, it's over. You got to just put them in the past and move on and, and focus on developing the guys who are on the roster and willing to contribute and willing to not put themselves in uh, off-field situations. You know, we don't know why he checked in the rehab, but the fact that he's checking in the rehab is certainly not a good sign. So hope he gets better, but the Cleveland Browns need to move on. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, Terrell Pryor coming, coming out kind of alleviates that that uh that loss uh for sure but um all right yeah i hope that that's the last time we talk about josh gordon as well um all right well moving on from the nfl to uh the college ranks uh the buckeyes uh had a nice leisurely saturday afternoon with with ruckers uh 58 to 0 thrashing uh, chris you were there live what what are your impressions of, of this of this game ruckers is not a good football team and that Ohio State is pretty legit I mean look I understand it was 58 to nothing but you know Kirk Herbstreet made a point during the Louisville Clemson game that I hadn't thought of you remember last year Bob we talked a lot about Ohio State they were the number one team that Ohio State team coming off a national championship locked and loaded they didn't blow anyone out they didn't have a game like this all last year until that Michigan game I mean they were struggling against teams that they had no business struggling against This Buckeyes team's closest loss was 21 points on the road to Oklahoma. They have crushed everyone so far. And I I know that that those three games against, you know, the the three lighter teams on their schedule aren't as impressive as the Oklahoma one. 
But when you remember that that team last year didn't do this to anyone, I mean, that is kind of crazy. And Ohio State's proven that it can do it to a good team, too, by going on the road in Oklahoma and hosing them. A 21-point win by final score. It was a lot more lopsided than that. This Buckeyes team is scary good. And can you believe that JT Barrett is already the all-time passing touchdowns leader with 59? Broke a record of 57 uh, during the game. He threw for four during the game. Uh, Bob, JT Barrett looks... He looks locked and loaded. Yeah, definitely uh, will rise in, in Heisman consideration. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson still continues to to push the field, but um, he, he will certainly be invited if he continues this up. Um, am I surprised that he already has set the record for passing touchdowns? No, I'm not, because before Urban Meyer got there, the Buckeyes were com- very conservative on offense, so that doesn't surprise me a whole lot that the guy who has – uh, run the Urban Meyer offense at Ohio State for the longest amount of time has the record. Um, that's just the the nature of the game right now. Um, but JT Bear is is legit in, in this year, and he's making the Buckeyes very scary. Like you said, that you know uh, the the Buckeyes did everything possible to lose games last year. Uh, th- there's none of that this year, so they look like the cream of the crop in the Big Ten, especially considering Michigan State uh, dropped another game to the Hoosiers. Uh, Wisconsin and, and Michigan uh, were daring each other to, to lose that game. Um, Ohio State looks for real, and they look uh, poised to, to win the Big Ten and poised to go back into the playoff. Another guy who impressed me was Mike Weber. Uh, this guy looks really, really, really good. Uh, you know, I don't think oh, Buckeyes are going to miss Ezekiel Elliott for very long. And I'm not saying Mike Weber's Ezekiel Elliott yet because Ezekiel Elliott was one of the most pro-ready running backs I've ever seen. What he did in pass protection I think was extremely underrated at Ohio State. But this guy, Mike Weber, um, Ohio State just reloaded, Bob. I mean, I think it, we're four games in, seen him live, seen him thrash Oklahoma. You know, this team has grown up really fast, and they look like they're dangerous. But, Bob, because this is a 58 to nothing game, we can easily kind of take a look around college football. Not too much to talk about there. I owe an apology to the Michigan Wolverines. You know, they stepped up and beat Wisconsin. I thought Wisconsin was going to expose them. Uh, Michigan, to that point, had not really played anyone tough. They had struggled against some subpar teams. They won a very gritty game against a very good team, 14-7, a classic Big Ten score, a classic Big Ten game. Um, so certainly Michigan has stepped up and proved that that they're that they are um, you know legit. Yeah, um, it it definitely uh, validated some of it. I, I still think they're they're ranked too high. Michigan has not played on the road yet. Um, we all know that that defense is super talented, so it's not surprising that they held Wisconsin to just seven points, three missed field goals by the Wolverines. Uh, so that uh, is concerning. I'm sure Jim Harbaugh is not uh, sleeping well thinking about those missed field goals and and, and how that can bail you out of a, a big-time game. So um, a, a good win for, to start off their season, um, but I think the Wolverines are still behind in terms of uh, – legitimacy in that top 10 yeah I think they're legit top 10 I don't know if they're top five but here's the thing with the playoff it doesn't matter as much because the way it looks now Ohio State Michigan's 
a quarterfinal game, quote-unquote, or whatever. Nebraska is lurking at 5-0. and They're better than I thought they'd be. Ohio State has to play both Nebraska and Wisconsin in the regular season, so probably the two best teams in the West both have to play the Buckeyes. That could be interesting as well. Uh, Wisconsin has a brutal schedule. Their three crossovers were Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State, so uh, pretty tough stuff for those two frontrunners out West. Um, and yeah, and you mentioned Michigan State losing. I mean, I don't know if it's time to say that Michigan State is was overrated, but uh, it's certainly not looking good for Sparty when you lose to the uh, Indiana Hoosiers. Yeah, it's one thing to lose to Wisconsin, but um, when when you follow that up with a loss to, to Indiana, that's that's uh, time time to probably press the panic button now. Um, in terms of their season and what their expectations are. Hey, Ohio State um, better watch but, out. Indiana's rolling into uh, the horseshoe this weekend after just upsetting Michigan State. So keep an eye. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> That'll be interesting. Uh, but, all right, let's uh, step outside the Big Ten and look at the other landscape going on. Uh, some uh, big, big-time games were happening. Uh, we had Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson, universities playing each other. I mean, Louisville versus Clemson. Um, did you have a chance to see, see that game? game of the year so far game of the year best game of the college yeah. football season uh, I actually had to take a nap I was dead because I, I, I had a high school game and the, with the Buckeyes kicking off at noon I didn't get a lot of sleep so I actually watched the first quarter and a half took a nap came back and watched the last quarter and a half because I didn't want to miss the end and I'm glad I didn't my goodness man that game was the best game of the season so far uh, Louisville could have won Clemson could have won they did I mean that game could have gone either way um and and both teams showed that they have what it takes to reach the college football playoff and if both of them get in which they both could uh there are scenarios out there that will have two teams from the same conference in uh watch out because I think they're both very scary teams yeah definitely exciting I think that's uh definitely one of the most entertaining games of the year uh professionally or or in college um Deshaun Watson uh, was slipping in terms of Heisman consideration. I think he reestablished himself as you know number two, just behind Lamar Jackson, who who didn't do anything to to dissuade voters. Um, if he had won, I mean, he would be the for sure favorite. But um, yeah, a fantastic game between for both of them. Yeah, certainly Jackson's number one still, but but Watson really closed the gap. Had Jackson won that game, I think it would be his to lose from here on in. But the fact that he lost. I, it could be interesting. I, I'm just saying. Look, I mean, if he if he still if he racks up the touchdowns going forward at, at the rate that he's going, I, I don't think anyone else could win it well, if he only has this one. But loss. here's the problem: even if he only has this one loss, if he doesn't play that 13th game to have the final impression, that could hurt him. That's what I'm worried about: is that other contenders yeah. will play in that championship game and make a last stamp effort where Jackson will be on the sidelines. So I think that that could hurt him down the stretch. Yeah, uh, very true. I mean, you're right. I, I'm not going to argue about Lamar Jackson's future Heisman hopes. We get still have two, mo- two more months. I mean, for all we know, he could you know, fizzle out. And so. that's the overriding um, point. I mean, last year Leonard Fournette was number one. I remember Geno Smith was going to win the Heisman after five games. It is only five games. The Heisman's won in November. Jackson's done a fantastic job taking the early lead, but we got a lot of football to play. Yeah. All right, we had one more uh, big top 10 matchup. Washington taking it to Stanford on Friday night. Uh, Chris, I know you were high on Stanford. I had them in the playoff as well. How shocked were you that uh, Washington just laid a licking on them? Uh, 
stunned. 44-6. Unbelievable. Stanford, I thought, was the most underrated team in the top 10. Wrong about that, too. So I was a wrong. Michigan proved me wrong. Stanford let me down. But Washington, man, 44-6. to You talk about making a statement out West. Uh, they have just played themselves into the uh, college football playoff conversation with that uh, beatdown of a victory. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the passing attack, I mean, Washington just picked them apart. Uh, Stanford missing its top two corners, and, and they just ran out routes all night against them, marching up and down the field. And Christian McCaffrey really laid a dud on what was – you know he gets doesn't get as much airtime because he's on the west coast this was a perfect time a friday night game no other competition and uh you know didn't didn't really do much so really shocked that the huskies came out on top in in such a big way yeah he was my preseason heisman uh pick and he had a lot of ground to make up this was the perfect opportunity to make it up and uh certainly did not help him but as we said there's a lot of football to be played but uh, Lamar Jackson is taking college football by storm. Uh, Deshaun Watson's going to be there. JT Barrett's going to be there. Uh, McCaffrey has a lot of work to do if he wants to even get to the finalist podium. Yeah, definitely. Jake Browning is the quarterback for the Huskies. 70% completion percentage. Pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) All right, Bob. We are going to talk about the Cavs because someone has signed with the Cavs. It is... Yeah. High time the Cavs have signed a backup point guard, Tony Douglas. Tony Douglas, yeah. They need a backup uh, point guard, the, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely addressed a need. Not the not the the biggest need on, on this roster because no. uh, you know he who will not be named on this podcast is still unsigned, and we won't mention him until he is signed. Uh, but Tony Douglas definitely fills a need. Eight point seven points, two point six assists in twenty minutes with the with the Pelicans last year. Um, it's a good signing. Uh, needed. I'm, I'm surprised that Tony Douglas wasn't on a team. Yeah, good, solid veteran backup point guard. Just what the Cavs needed, uh, a buffer between Kyrie Irving and some of the other guys on their roster. Uh, so certainly can come in and run the second unit, kind of like what Mo Williams did uh, last year and Matthew Delvadova in tandem. So uh, definitely a much-needed signing for the Cavs. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one, one more signing to go for the Cavs. Yes, but we will not talk about that yet because we've banned that topic on our podcast until ink is on the paper. And so we'll just leave it at that. So thank you all for listening to Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. You know what to do. Come to FenleyRoadSports.com, click on the iTunes logo, and subscribe to our podcast. Rate us highly, if you will. Uh, if you can't get to FenleyRoadSports.com, you can search for us through iTunes. Just search Fenley Road Sports, click Clee Talk, and hit subscribe. It's that simple. But if you go to FenleyRoadSports.com, we made it even easier. Just click that button in the corner. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching Fenley Road Sports. We're back every week with another episode of Clee Talk and for the NFL season every Friday with Football Fridays previewing the Browns' next matchup. So come back for that as well. But until then, go Tribe. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Go Tribe. Take it easy, Bob.